So I want to jump back in where we left off in 2 Timothy at the end of chapter 3. If you got your Bible, go there. And I just want to remind you uh, of what we're talking about here, that, that there are only a few things in life worth fighting for. There are plenty of things that we can fight over, and there are plenty of things that we can fight about. But there's only a few things worth fighting for. And and at the end of your life, you want to be able to say uh, with the Apostle Paul, I fought for what's worth fighting for, right? And and this has been the theme verse throughout this whole series, chapter 4, verse 7. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race, and I have remained faithful. That's what it means to fight the good fight, that at the end of your life, you could make that declaration. And listen, if you have kids, or if you're married, or you're planning on having kids one day, or you have grandkids, if, if there's one piece of advice that I could give you to help you raise your children, it is this. Get them in the Word and get the word in them. In fact, listen to what Moses had to say about that subject. Uh, Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 32. Take to heart all of the words of warning that I have given you today. Pass them on as a command to your children. Pass them on to your children so they will obey every word of these instructions. These instructions are not empty words. They are your life. These are some of the last words that Moses wrote. We've been studying for the last five weeks Paul's last words to his protege, Timothy, but but these are what Moses had to say to his protege, Joshua, and this is what he wanted him to know. He wanted him to understand that those words that are written down, the Word of God, that he went up that mountain and he met with God face to face, that he heard from the very lips of God, and then when he penned these words, they weren't empty words, they're actually life. And before I was saved, I had all kinds of ideas about what the Bible was and what the Bible wasn't. And after I got saved and I actually started reading the Bible as a child of God, I realized that many of my ideas about the Bible were wrong. So I'll just tell you some of the preconceptions or or preconceived ideas I had about the Bible because maybe many of you have these same ideas. And because you have the wrong idea or a bad idea uh, about the Bible, maybe you don't love this book or read this book or let this book get in you like you should. And and so here are some of the things that I'll just kind of list them for you that I used to believe about the Bible. Uh, The Bible, I believe, was a list of rules. The Bible is not a list of rules. The Bible has lists of rules, but the rules are not the point of the Bible. The rules point to the point of the Bible, to to something else. The the Bible is not a book of good advice. It has good advice in it. But but if you follow the good advice and you miss the whole point of the Bible, you miss out on on life. The the Bible is not a story that has no point. The the Bible is a big, big story with many stories uh, in between. And, And all of the stories point to one Thing, and that's Jesus. They all point to Jesus. And, and so I want to start today just by uh, a confession and a moment of honesty with you today. I, if I were truthful, I would say to you, most of the sermons that I have heard in my life, uh, like the one I'm getting ready to preach to you about the Bible and about it being the Word of God, have been really, really boring. And I just want to confess that to you. Most of the ones that I've heard preached about it. In fact, when I hear teachers of the Word of God preach about the Word of God and say that it is the Bible and it's the Word of God and over 1,500 years, these authors and da-da-da-da-da, I have been bored out of my mind listening to those sermons. 
And, and I'm just going to confess that to you today and say that's not what we're going to do today. I know you believe that, and I know you would never even think that that's where we would go. But, but it, when that's the sermon, the application of that appears to be, hey, let's read the bibliography card. You remember that? Kids don't remember that. Remember we go to the card catalog? And we would pull out a drawer that was seven feet long, and we would go through all of these cards, and we would pull it up, and, and we would have to read this bibliography card. It was a horrible experiment for ADD students. <laughs> or it appears that the application of a sermon about the Bible being the Word of God is, hey, go to the library, check out a book, and sit down and read the book. That's not fun to me. I don't like that. In fact, some teachers have made some really bad mistakes. When I was in the first grade, the, the teacher figured out part of my wiring and makeup is competition. And, and so the competition that they set was who could read the most books in the first grade. I read 338 books in the first grade because it was a competition. I would read books on the way home from the library and, and uh, books on the way to the library to continue to, because I wanted to win. I didn't care what the book had to say. I didn't learn one thing from a single one of the books. I didn't comprehend most of what I read. I just read the books to win, and it was a bad experiment. In fact, I would say to you, I probably have read only 338 books since the first grade. Because it was not a good experiment for me. Uh, my, Limley, my, my youngest daughter, she came home with an assignment a few weeks ago about reading this book, and, and then you had to do a book report on it. And this teacher's brilliant. Because here was the assignment. Your book report can be a PowerPoint presentation. Boring. Or it can be a poster presentation where you color a poster and draw a poster, et cetera, and you present it. Or it can be a rap, or it can be a song, or it can be a play that you put on. It gave all kinds of options. And I was like, that's awesome. And, and so Limley's getting ready for this, which she's a drama waiting to happen, right? And a play ready to happen, and a rap ready to happen, and a song. And, and so she's getting ready for it. And so I, I, I said to them, I said, I got an idea. Next time this assignment happens, because you have to pick two of the things next time for the next book. And, and I said, you need to pick any book you can find on Alexander Hamilton. And she said, why? I said, because there's some great raps written around this. <laughs> and you can get your brothers involved in the play. And Ben loved it. Ben, no, in fact, Ben said, no, I don't want to be involved. Eli said, I'll be involved, right? And, and, and we'll, we'll figure out, because Ben knows every word to the whole musical Hamilton. And I'm like, we already know it. Let's just pick a book. You don't even have to read the book. We just used the raps, right? And that was my suggestion is, is come up with Hamilton. That was brilliant. But when we preach messages on the Word of God, listen, we should be just as excited as Lemley is to present this book that she's read, An American Girl Doll, or whatever the book happened to be. But because it's, this is not just a book, it's a sword. And it is powerful. And, and we should be preaching messages about the Bible that lead us to want to climb a mountain. Or quite honestly, what we should do is preach messages about the Bible that lead us to speak to mountains and tell them to move. That's the application of this book in our lives. It, it's not just a bibliography card, and it's not just a report that we want to give. This book is powerful, and it does powerful things. And when we take the Word of God and we get it inside of us and we begin speaking it out, it, it's, it's incredible what happens. In fact, this is so important that Paul, in his last words to his protege, spent, spends a chunk of his time talking about the Scripture. And we get to look over Timothy's shoulder and peek into what the Apostle Paul wrote. And when we do that, we get to get a glimpse uh, 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 about how he felt about this incredible book called the Word of God. Remember, Paul is teaching Timothy how to fight the good fight. And it's not just 
fight a fight, but it's fight the good fight and fight it good, right? And, and so he wants to know that his mentor, mentee in ministry, Timothy, is ready and is armed just like Moses made sure his mentee, Joshua, was ready and, and armed. In fact, Thinking about Moses passing that on to Joshua, I want you to look at these words that Joshua said after Moses had spoken into his life, and now he's passing it on to those who will come after him. Look at what Joshua had to say to those coming after him. Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so you will be sure to obey everything that is written in it. Only then will you be able to prosper and succeed in all that you do. Prosperous and successful. Isn't that what we all want? And, and, and that they would go into the promised land and they would be prosperous and successful. That they would win in the battle that God was sending them into. And prosperous and successful, by the way, is a whole lot bigger than just possessions, right? It is about the good fight. It is about fighting the good fight. And one of the secrets of the battle is meditating on the Word of God and getting it into your heart. Look at what Paul said to Timothy as we pick up where we left off last week. End of chapter 3, verse 16. And he says, all Scripture, say all, is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true. In other words, Paul makes it clear that the whole of Scripture is the primary way that God speaks to his children. It's the Scriptures that make you wise for salvation. Nothing else on earth can do that except for the inspired Word of God. All Scripture is inspired by God. Notice that Paul does not say, Timothy, if you want to be inspired by God, go out and look at a mountain. He doesn't say, if you want to be inspired by God, go out and look at a lake. He doesn't say, if you want to be inspired by God, go out and observe the creation that God made. Now, you can do all of those things, but what he is saying is, he says, the Scripture, the Bible, is the inspiration of God. And if you want to know God, you got to know His Word. And if He talks to you, and He will, if you're listening, Nothing he says will ever, ever contradict what he says in the Word. It will build upon what he says in the Word. And what he says outside of the Bible will confirm what he's already said in the Bible. And he will only always ever reaffirm what he has already said. That's what God does. And, and when it's inspired, it's not like when you go to a movie and at the end of the movie the credits roll and it says, based on or inspired by a true story. That's not what this is. It's not that God Almighty kind of spoke some good idea to some people and they went off to their little writing lab and, and began writing. That's not what happened. That word inspired in the Greek is literally the word God breathed. It's God breathed. The Holy Spirit breathed into their souls the very words that he wanted them to say. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful. Circle that word in your Bible there. It's useful. This word useful, the Greek word for useful, it only shows up two places in the whole New Testament. Right here in chapter 3, verse 16, and over in the first letter to Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. You know that verse because in that verse, here's what he says. Paul says physical training exercise is useful. It is useful. But training in godliness is even more useful. It's eternally useful. 
That's what going to the barn is all about, right? Going back to the barn that we talked about a few weeks ago. It's not that we just go back to the barn physically. we got to go back to the barn spiritually. And, and we got to grow in our understanding and our discipleship of who we are in Christ and who he happens to be. And so God gives us his word for us to exercise it and to put it into play. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong, and it teaches us to do what is right. In other words, he breathes it out for a specific purpose. And he does not say these things just like an inspirational speaker would say something to motivate us to go out and do something good. That's not what he does. That's not the idea of God-inspired. The Scripture is God's breath. And what does God's breath do? Well, you remember the story of Genesis chapter 2, right, where God took his hands and he scooped up some dust of the land and he began to form Adam out of the dust and he began to form the body of Adam. And it did not have life until he did what? Until he breathed into it. The breath of God, the Word of God brings life. And that comes through reading the Scriptures and getting the Word in you. And when you read the Bible, you don't just read it to read it. There is a deeper reason for the child of God. When you read the Bible, write this down, when you read the Bible, you have to let the Bible read you. When you read the Bible, you have to let the Bible read you. And what do I mean by that? Here's what I mean by that. You have to allow the Holy Spirit of God to speak through the words that He has already breathed out. Because he wants to speak through them to you. He wants to speak on them to you. He he wants to use them in your life and to take you further than you ever dreamed you could go. That's what he wants to do. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews says in in chapter 4. For the word of God is alive. Say alive. And it's powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between the soul and the spirit. Do you know that there's a difference between the soul and the spirit? I've taught you that many, many, many times. But, but you can't discern it, and you can't find it. And doctors don't know how to distinguish it. And psychologists can't figure it out. But the Word of God can. And it will divide between the spirit and the soul, that part of you that was made before the foundation of the earth and uh, foundation of the world, and then that part of you that is just your mind, your will, and your emotions. He, he knows how to discern the difference. The Word of God can do that. It can cut into the joint and the marrow. It exposes the innermost thoughts and the innermost desires in your life. In a battle, a sword, it can cut and it can kill, kill but it can also heal. It can cut and kill, but also heal. Because in battle in those days, they would take that sword and they would put it in the fire and then they would lay it on top of a wound, hot, to cauterize the wound so so that it would kill the gangrene and that that wound would not kill you. That's the Word of God. It cuts and it heals. And you need to get it into your innermost thoughts and into your innermost desires and allow the Holy Spirit to use the Word to show you what's bringing life to you and what is killing you and and where they're coming from in your life. So Paul breaks this down into four words or or four phrases. And and here's what he says in verse uh, 16. They teach us what is true, the Word, that is, teaches us what is true, and it shows us what's wrong in our lives, right? And those two are paired together. There's two pairs actually here. Paul is genius writing. And then he takes the next two things and he he pairs them together and he says they correct us when we are wrong and, and it teaches us to do what is right. 
That's what the Word of God does in our life. It teaches us what is true, and it teaches us what is wrong, first of all. And, and, and so the, those two pair up together. In other words, what you hear from the world and what you hear from the enemy, it, it, it's, they're lies. And those lies need to be measured next to the word of truth, right? And if you want to get to the truth, you want to get to the truth in your life, you want to get to the truth in relationships, you want to get to the truth in the news, you first have to know the truth. you got to get God's word inside of you. And when you spend time in God's word, listen, truth will come easier to you. It will come easier to you because the word of God is alive in you. And you start to understand and you start to perceive and you start to pick out lies in your life and lies in culture and lies that you've told yourself. One of the greatest experiments that you could do as a child of God is to learn to tell yourself the truth. And let the truth come up in you and speak truth to you. It's called discernment. And it does not come from listening to podcasts. It does not come from watching a video on YouTube. And it doesn't come from the most popular uh, social media out there today. It comes from spending time in the Word and in the truth. And, and the next set of words, the two that come after those two that were paired together, are it corrects us when we do wrong. And it helps us to do right. That's what the Word of God does. In other words, there's a purpose to the Word. And there's a purpose to our lives. And I said the Bible is not a list of rules to follow, and that is true. And our salvation is not based on how well we can follow the rules. But once you are saved, and once you are in a relationship with God, there is a level of obedience that He expects from His children. In other words, you got to behave right. But in order to behave right, this is the point of the Scripture, you got to believe right. There is a connection between belief and behavior. And if you want to behave right, you, you, then you better believe right. And if you're believing a bunch of lies, then you will act bad. You will act negative. You will act in harmful ways because you believe lies. And so if you see bad behavior in your life, sin in your life, then go back to the start and check what you believe. Because whenever behavior turns bad, there is always a faulty belief behind it. There is a direct line. In fact, write these three words uh, down. Bible, believe, behave. You want the prescription? That's it. Bible, believe, behave. In fact, at every campus, let's say those three words together. Ready? Bible, believe, behave. In other words, when we read the Bible and it informs our beliefs, which our beliefs direct our behavior, right? There is a straight line that connects those things together. And if you miss one of those things in this line, the whole line falls apart. If you don't read your Bible, how do you know what to believe? Or if you don't believe what it is that you've read in the Bible, how will you behave right? Any educated person on the planet can read the Bible and have a good understanding of what it is saying. That is not spiritual. That is intellectual, right? It only becomes useful when it becomes spiritual in your life. That's the only point that it becomes useful to you. And if it only becomes spiritual when you actually believe what it says, then there's an issue if you don't believe it, right? you got to believe it. And so you got to go from understanding it to believing it. There is a direct connection between our holiness and our time in the Word of God. There is. And when we get in the Word more and we believe it more, we want to live it out more. This is all about what we do with the Word once we read it. We don't just read it and say, wow, neat, next. 
and, and move on. There's a difference between insight and application. And the Bible is fascinating, and it is interesting, and it is incredible. And I love, to be honest with you, I love to read the Bible for insights and, and for clarity and, and for new things and for neat things. And, and there are all kinds of examples from, from the words behind the, the words, the world of the culture that, that the Bible was written in and the Word of God comes from. And we can gain insight from that because it's so interesting and it's so powerful. There's all kinds of examples. For instance, one of those is that you read the parable of the prodigal son. And when you read that story, you read the part about the father getting up off that porch. I don't know why I envision a Cracker Barrel rocker there, but it's probably not what was happening. But, but he comes up off of that rocker, and, and he starts running to his son. And it makes sense to us because we would do the very same thing, right? Just imagine your son went to serve somewhere in the military or is coming home from somewhere dangerous at the airport, and you meet him at the airport. You, you, you would run to meet him, and we understand that. But, but you need to know the culture behind the Word of God, and you need to understand that in those days, fathers never ran. They never ran. They sat. Uh, uh, others ran. They may hire somebody to run, but they would never, ever, ever run. In fact, in the Middle East, men don't run today. It's considered childish. And, and so they don't run. And so when you read that text with that insight in your mind, it opens up the text to you that the father ran. That's a big deal. That's amazing. And he's applying that to God. And he's saying, God, your father runs to you. It's incredible what the Word of God can do in, in your life. And you gain the insight... But if all you do is gain the insight and say, wow, and it does nothing in you, then it's not very useful for you. For believers, simply reading the Bible for information or for insight, it's not enough. That we've got to have real and lasting impact in our lives and real change in our lives that comes from the Word of God. James says that in chapter 1. Remember James chapter 1? He says, hey, you can't just listen to the Word. That's like looking at the mirror and not fixing it. That we, we need to be transformed by the Word. How? By obeying the Word, doers of the Word. We need to not just read it. We need to respond to it. Now, how does Paul tell Timothy to respond? Go to, go to verse uh, 17. God uses the Word to prepare and equip His people to do every good work. In other words, God has a response for you in His Word and in His mind for you when you, when you read that Scripture. And every day you live, every day you live as a child of God, you have the opportunity to obey God. And you have the chance to hear Him, to Him speak to you, and to say to you, hey, I want you to do this. And every little time he does that in your life he is pointing you to the good works that he prepared in advance according to Ephesians for you and so we need to have the word anchored in us to be ready for this in our lives if we aren't anchoring in the written word of God hear me you will miss the spoken word of God in your life you will miss it and so I want to give you four things in application today, four things that you need to do with the Word of God and the Bible in your life in order to be anchored and ready for the good fight. Okay, and here, here's number one. It's very simple. Number one, you got to read it. I, I, I put out in my notes next to that, or hear it. 
Okay, so you got to read it or hear it. That, that's step number one. The first thing that you need to do when it comes to the Word of God is read it or hear it. You, you, you need to hear it. Sometimes you need to hear it out loud, right? You need to hear it out loud. That, that you uh, need to get with others and read it out loud together. In fact, a, a, almost every single week for decades. I've had Meredith read the sermons and, and help me with the sermons. And just a few years ago, after decades of doing this, here's what she said. I don't understand what's going to happen by just reading it. You got to speak it. Because you do things when, when you speak it that expound upon it and it goes a different direction. You, I, I don't understand it by just reading. I, I need to hear it. And there's something about hearing that audibly. In fact, many, many times for ADD people, listen, this was one of the tricks they taught me when I was a kid to kind of persevere and go through school. You have to read out loud. And so I would have to get away where I would involve my ears, not just my heart. And I read it every Sunday morning. I show up here about 630 in the morning and and I go through the whole message out loud in my office, even though I, I penned it and I wrote it and we've been working on it for a long time. There is something about saying it out loud that, that does something in your life. And and so you need to get with others sometimes and you need to read the word of God with others at some time. You need to be here When, when we read the scriptures out loud. I've taught you before that that word pneuma in the Greek, in fact, in the Hebrew as well, it means both wind and spirit, right? It's the word where we get our word pneumatic or pneumonia, right? It's about the breath because just like a spirit or a wind, remember, the Scripture is God-breathed. And he breathed life into them, and they breathe life into us. That's what the Word of God does for us. And, and, and so you first take it. It's real easy. You read it or you hear it, and you let it get inside of you. Jeremiah in chapter 1, he said, I devoured the Word of God. I devoured it, right? First uh, Peter says that I, we are to crave the Word like a baby craves spiritual milk. In other words, we got to get it into us. We use whatever verb you want to use by eating it, by drinking it, by breathing it it, by ingesting it, you are taking in the Word of God. And that's exactly what you do. And that's the second thing that I want you to write down. You don't just read it, you receive it. On a regular basis, I will, to the Scripture, say, I receive it. When somebody shares a word from God for me, and and it bears witness with my spirit, I usually will use those words. Hey, I receive it. I, I, I receive it. It's exactly what you do. I receive it. I receive it. I mean, you inhale it. Write that out next to that, receive. Inhale. That's the picture I want you to see, that you are actually taking in the breath of God. I, I was reading through a commentary this week on this particular passage, and, and this commentator said this. I've never heard this before, never read this before. Here's what he said. The way to translate that verse uh, depends on where you put the word is in the Greek language which is funny because I thought about writing the, the, the line down. It, it depends on your definition of is and, and, and the culture that we live in. But, but it depends on where you put the word is, right? And, and the way, this is what he was suggesting, that a proper translation to that scripture, all scripture is God breathed, could be translated this way, all scripture breathes God. And, and I don't know if that's a good translation or not, but the thought is really, really, really good that you read the Scripture, and when you do and you receive it, you are breathing in God. 
That, that, that it's like the word pneuma, right? God's spirit or, or wind or, or breath, that when you read the God-breathed scripture, you are actually taking in the breath of God. So, so you don't just breathe in, by the way. You, you would suffocate if all you did is breathe in. Eventually, you have to breathe it out, which is the third thing that I want you to write down. Say it. And next to say it, I want you to write down the word exhale. You got to exhale the word of God for the, for the breath of God. You take it in, but you also exhale it. Now, how do you do that? Second Corinthians four, Paul gives us this lesson and this principle and he lays it out for us. Look, look at this verse of scripture. I wish I had time to go through this whole chapter, chapter four, but that would be an ADD diversion uh, to this message. But I did that this week and I went through this text. It's powerful. It's written. He's talking about the word of God. It is written. It is written, I believed, right? We talked about that a minute ago. Therefore, I have, say it, spoken. Since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore we speak. That, that you don't just inhale it, you got to exhale it. You don't just believe it, you speak it out loud. You don't just say, well, I heard it and I believe it, right? That's not enough, actually. You don't just say, I believe what you had to say today, Alex. You need to say it out loud. D don't just believe it, that's inhaling, right? You don't just inhale, you have to exhale also to be healthy, and you have to say the Word of God. Begin speaking the Word of God over your life. Find scriptures, find passages to speak over your children, to speak over your family, to speak over your business. Ask God to give you a word. That, that's why the scripture memory is so important. It's not enough to read it, and it's not enough to even believe it. you got to say it and say it out loud. It's like spiritual CPR, that you breathe it in and you breathe it out to do what? To bring life. That's the whole point of it. You don't read the Word of God and then use it to berate people. That's like bad breath, right? That's not the breath of God. That's like halitosis. That's not what you do with the Word of God. That You use it to bring life. That's what it was set out to do. And he, Jesus said it will accomplish what it set out to do, that it does not return void. It will accomplish. It will bring life. It'll bring life to what's faltering. It'll bring life to what's dying. It'll bring life to what's dead. Exhaling the Word of God is like inviting your soul to a pep rally. You believe it, I believe it, but we believe it together. And when we all say it together that we will win, there is something that happens about coming together and all of us declaring it together. You ever been to a good pep rally? Right? We want to go to a good pep rally. I've been to some bad ones, right? But, but when, when you go to a good one, it, it, sometimes a pep rally is just like wishing. Right, this team is 0-10 or whatever, and they're saying, we're going to win. And we're all going, no, you're not. <laughs> I saw several tweets yesterday morning about Arkansas is going to beat Alabama. And I thought, these people are on drugs. That's just wishing. You, that's not what we do with the Word of God. We're not just wishing for what we want. We are hoping in the hope that is expressed in the written Word of God. And we are saying it out loud. And it's great when we all come together and say the same thing. We're going to win. We're going to kick their tails, right? That's what it is. And, and, and you, you may think it, but when you say it, it, it does something. There's some promises God's given me over the years, and, and, and a few times I've written them down, and, and as I've wrestled with it and come back to it and come back to it and looked at it, I said, God, it doesn't appear that this is bearing any fruit, and he'll say, hey, I want you to speak it. I'm like, what do you mean? 
I say, God, just give me a simple application. I'm dumb. What do you want me to do today? He said, I want you to tell one person. Tell one person what I told you. Just one today. And then tell one tomorrow. And we'll take this one step at a time because I know you're remedial. And, and, and so, Alex, we'll, we'll, we'll move this down the road. But, but you just speak it out loud. And, and listen, Jesus knew this. And it's why he did it, and it's why he taught us to pray, which is the fourth point of what you do with the Word of God. You pray it. You pray it. We need to put our faith into words, and we need to put our words into prayers. And it's not just, well, hey, I, I think this, and I believe this, so, so I'm going to say it. That's, that's not really the whole application. Jesus said, talk to your mountains. And tell them to move. And if you have the faith of a mustard seed, you, you can speak to that mountain and tell it to move, and it will move. John 15, verse 7. The Scripture says, Ask whatever you want, and I will do it. And let me just confess this to you. There have been times in my life, I don't know if I believe that verse. And, and I don't know if you have ever wrestled with that. And part of the reason I don't believe it is because I've seen it twisted. I've seen that verse turned. I've seen that verse violated. I've seen that verse abused. But, but hear me, listen. We, we can't take that verse and say, well, that's not true. It's Scripture. And because we've seen it abused and because we've seen it twisted, we just want to throw it out, which is exactly what the devil wants you to do with that, right? It, it is to walk away from it because you've seen it twisted and abused. And just because name it, claim it theology has twisted that verse of Scripture doesn't mean that we should go the opposite direction and ignore it altogether. That's crazy, right? Look, look at that verse, and let's hear what Jesus is saying to us. If you remain in me, this is about abiding in Jesus Christ. If you remain in me, we're abiding with Jesus, and my word remains in you, right? This is about taking in the word of God and it remaining in us. Not just we read it, it goes in one ear and out the other ear, but it remains in us. If those two things are true, then you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted to you. In other words, answered prayer ought to be part of the MO for the children of God. More so than, than what most of us experience. Some of you know the story that when Ben was two years old, he, he fell in a pool. We were out 30 minutes away, and we got the call and said, come. And in that journey, that 30-minute drive back, somehow I got the sheriff on the phone. I have no idea how I did that. To this day, I don't know where I got the number, how that happened, how, how I ended up speaking to the sheriff on the phone, but I did. And they said, this baby's got to be lifelike. It's not good. That's the phrase he used with me. And I told this story years ago. He's almost 14. It's been 12 years ago. And when we turned that corner about 150 yards away from that fire station, that helicopter took off and went over those trees. And when Meredith got out of that car, her legs did not work. And I'll never forget that guttural voice. I've never heard that before or since. But it came from way down in here as she screamed, My baby! 
and David Nasser, who preaches here on a regular basis, this is, by the way, one of those moments that just solidified that friendship. He drove us that two-hour ride to Pensacola Children's Hospital. And, and during that ride, I made several phone calls just trying to get people to pray. And There's a moment where we estimated that to be several hundred thousand. Because it went out on, on Caleb, and, and it went out on the radio stations that broadcast to millions and millions of people. We got letters for years from people saying, hey, we pulled over on the side of the road and we prayed for that baby at that moment. But there was a verse of scripture that came to us throughout that journey. And, and it came out of Isaiah chapter 43. And God used it in our lives, and he made it powerful in our lives. And, and here's what the word said. You will go through the waters, but you will not drown. And God used the word in our lives and gave us a hope and a, and a belief that we, we stood up on the word of God. And listen, this is what Jesus invites us to do. This last week, I went and spent a couple of hours with one of our young adult community groups on Wednesday night. And they lost their little three-year-old baby named Harbor, who may have been one of the cutest kids I've ever met in my whole life. And as we wrestled that evening, and, and, and we didn't get down and wrestle, we were wrestling verbally. That's not what I do when I come to your group. I don't even run, so I'm certainly not going to wrestle, right? But as we worked through the pain, and, and there were tears, a lot of them, I started talking to him about getting a verse and, and taking it in and hailing it and exhaling it by saying it out loud. And this is exactly what Jesus invites us to do, church, to breathe it in and to breathe out his word. The, the scripture is the breath of God and God brings life. And what some of you need to do on some of our campuses is you need to breathe some life over your situation in life today. Some of you have something in front of you that is on life support. Or, or it appears to be dead, and, and you need a scripture to breathe over that thing in your life, to bring it back to life once again. It, it, it needs CPR. So here's what I want to ask you to do with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. I, I just want you to start asking God, what, what is that mountain that's in front of me? What, what, what is that mountain that's between us, Lord, that, that I need to tackle and I need to go at? What, what, what is that thing in front of me that seems impossible? What, what is that thing in front of me that seems impassable? What is that thing in front of me that seems insurmountable? And maybe you already know exactly what it is. You look at it and stare at it every day as if you're staring at the geography of the planet. What, what, what is that thing? Maybe you don't know what it is. You just feel it and you sense that it's there. Maybe it's a marriage that's on the rocks. Maybe it's a sick family member. Maybe it's an employment decision. Maybe it is a, a cancer diagnosis. Would you ask the Holy Spirit to tell you what that mountain is in your life? And here's what I want you to do at every campus. I want us to apply this today, church. I, I don't want us to play church. I want us to exercise some faith today. 
When you know what your mountain is, I just want you to raise your hand at every campus. Just hold it up. When you know what it is, just raise your hand up and hold it. I know what that mountain is. Just hold your hand up. I know what it is. At Midtown, just raise your hand and hold it up. At Downtown, just raise your hand and hold it up. At South Tulsa, just raise your hand and hold it up. At Owasso, raise your hand. In Chicago, raise your hand. In Cairo, raise your hand. In Jordan, raise your hand. Now here's what I want you to do. If your hand is raised at every single campus, I just want you to stand to your feet. You know what it is. Just stand to your feet. And I want to pray for you specifically. And, and I want to pray over you. But I'm going to give you a chance just to exercise and speak to it. And to speak to that mountain in your life. And, and, and in fact, here, here's what I want to do today. If you're standing at every single campus, I, I want you just to come forward and stand in front of the stage. Okay, campus pastors, come now. If you're standing, I just want you to come and just stand forward. I, I, we're, we're going to ask God for some scriptures. We're going to ask God for, for some truth to speak over these mountains today. And, and, and so if this is you, I want you to come forward and come on at every campus. Campus pastors, you come at this time and, and I want you to take over. I want to cut the feed. I want you to take care of this at your campus. You know what it is. Just, just slide all the way over here. We're going to have to come in tight. The aisles are full of people. Okay. The enemy uses mountains in the lives of the children of God today. And I want you to picture that mountain. I want you to think about that mountain. And, and I want you to speak to it. And I want you to ask God to give you a word from his word to declare over your mountain for it to move. And let me just say this to you. I, I think there's value in most of the flavors of Christianity today. I grew up in liturgy. And the rote repetition of it drove me crazy. And, and it appeared to me to be anything but authentic. And consequently for me, what happened is the pendulum swung. And, and so I don't appreciate anything, you know, liturgical. I don't appreciate it. And, and because I, I ran out of it. But, but I want you to say, if you run out of it altogether, you, you miss some of the power. Because there is some power in repeating out loud together. There is something powerful about repeating out loud together. Not in rote repetition, but, but in a meaningful way. And so I want us as a whole congregation to participate in this. And, and, and in fact, here's what I want you to do. If you're still seated out there, I want you to stand. And I want you to do that vicariously for these people who are standing here at the front as a whole congregation. In fact, I, I want us to do this, this repetition today. Put that up on the board if you would. I, I'm going to say you've done it before. And you're going to say, and we believe you'll do it again. This is a responsive reading. And so maybe you're here today, and obviously I don't know all of the issues and I don't know all of the mountains, but maybe you're here today and your mountain is anxiety. You, you feel anxiety. W would you declare with David in Psalm 40, Lord, you have heard my cry. You have heard it. You are lifting me out of the pit of despair and out of the mud and out of the mire. And my feet, like David's feet, are on solid ground. Lord, you have done it before. Come on, church, let's declare it. And we believe you will do it again. Maybe your mountain. You move, you move the mountain. Maybe that mountain for you is infertility. 
and you can't have a baby and you, 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 you can't conceive a child, would you declare with Isaac in, in Genesis 25 as he prayed for his childless wife and he said, Lord, you answered that prayer. You gave Rebecca a child and you made her pregnant. Lord, you have done it before. Come on, church. And we believe you will do it again. Maybe that mountain for you is you need a job or you need a different job or you need a better job. Would you declare from Psalm 90, the favor of God rest on me. It rests on me. God, would you establish the work of my hands? You've done it before and we believe you will do it again. Maybe that mountain in front of you is sickness, a disease, or, or a health issue. Would you proclaim with Isaiah, by your stripes, I am healed. Declare it. Lord, you've done it before. We've seen you move. You move the mountain. Maybe that mountain is in your marriage. It's in that relationship with your spouse that God has given you. Would you declare the very words of Jesus Christ in Mark chapter 10 and say, let no one or nothing tear apart what you have put together, Lord. You've done it before. Maybe it's financial. Maybe that mountain is financial. Let's echo what Paul told Timothy and Philippians, what Paul told the Philippian church rather. God, you will supply all of my needs. From your glorious riches, you will supply my needs. What I have been given is from Jesus. You've done it before. We've seen you move. You move the mountain. Is your mountain fear? Is your mountain insecurity? Would you claim Deuteronomy chapter 31? Would you just shout it and say, I will be strong and I will be courageous. I refuse to be afraid. I refuse to panic before this mountain. God, you are going ahead of me and you will neither fail me nor abandon me. You have done it before. Maybe, maybe that mountain is, for all of us, the mountain. One of those mountains is the salvation of others. It's the salvation of a child. It's the salvation of a parent. It's the salvation of a coworker. It's the salvation of somebody that, that is resisting or is not coming into the wooing of the Holy Spirit. Let, let's declare together what Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy. God will change those people's hearts. He will do that. And they will come to the truth. And they will come to their senses. And they will escape the devil's traps. And they will be free. And they will no longer be held captive. They will come to Jesus. And two weeks from today, we will see boys and girls and men and women come and give their lives to Jesus Christ in this Harvest Sunday. Lord, we have seen you do it before. Let's declare it. Let's sing it, church. Let's lift the roof off this place. And let's believe it. You move the mountains, and I believe I see you do it again. You made a way.
try to prove 